In this part one of two episodes, we break down world building as a means of maximizing storytelling. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. And share this episode with a friend if you'd be so kind. My name is Jim Smudge, and welcome to the SmudgeCast. What's up, everyone, whenever or wherever you are? And I'm so, so excited to be here talking about world building, not just with myself, but with a good friend of mine, Eric. How are you? Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, Eric, I'm super excited to not only talk about uh, world building with you, but just like I just love talking about D&D with you. We are so um, similar when it comes to talking about D&D, the things that we enjoy, flavor, story, and I truly admire your capabilities of understanding navigating a collaborative narrative story with a group of people. Um, and I think that you're just, you're just wonderful. <laughs> you're so fun to talk through. So I'd love for it to, for us to just even now, just you, you do so many things with, with drawing and writing in different ways. Would you just share a little bit about like what you do and who you are? Sure. So um, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a while. How long? Uh, Give us the number. Uh, a few years now. Um, I'm old. <laughs> plus 10, uh, plus yeah, 20. Yeah. No, not, that, <laughs> not quite that long. But I have... Uh, um, I've also uh, done a lot of improv and mm -hmm. uh, stage acting and voice acting um, in various uh, local productions around Chicagoland. And um, that sort of, I think, brought me into like more collaborative work. I also have been doing lots of art and writing. I had a webcomic that ran for a few years um, called A Legend of Some Sort. Uh, and you can buy it at a legend of some sort .com. Uh, I have, love it, plug uh, yeah, it, do yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, currently have a Patreon where I make, uh, papercraft dioramas. So Steven's really great here at making, uh, super detailed, uh, physical 3d terrain. And I, um, I was never a sculptor or a painter. I was more of a pencil and, uh, pen kind of artist. So I draw, um, a lot of my own uh, figures, characters, and little little dioramas, little maps that you can print out and fold and make into scenery. And I've used some of those in D&D campaigns. And uh, some of those are just because they look cool. No, they totally look cool. And you do uh, like themed-based months, correct? Yeah. So like uh, I've been doing for the last year, every other month I do like something around the X-Men. And I've been going decade by decade through, like, from the 1960s to the 2020s on the X-Men. So cool. And on the other months, I do random books, movies, uh, TV shows, or other things of, of interest where I'm like, I feel like drawing this thing and, and, and put it in. Next year, I'm excited. My theme is actually going to be alternating months are going to be uh, battle maps where I make a small uh, Dungeons & Dragons map with, like, one or two two or four bad guys that's so cool and like one or two like npcs that you can again print out and throw your 3d minis right on the map um and and play a quick battle scene if you need something uh, a little random and a little inspiring and, and affordable so those have been some of the different uh things i've done i do uh, have a uh campaign i'm in uh with uh, several of my friends for the last couple of years um we are transitioning dungeon masters next year i think i'm going to be doing that Again, which you were a dungeon master for a while, then you were a player, yeah, right? and then I'm back to uh, dungeon mastering. So uh, it's back and forth, but uh, I've done, yeah, I've done both sides of the thing, and um, I've had a lot of fun on both sides. So happy to talk about how I ran a campaign and how the world building went, and um, and and how the players reacted and how it all evolved. I love that. Because you have both sides of the table. You can be a GM understanding how to world build, but also as a player, there's some agency. And we'll even get into, uh, as a player, how do we participate in world building um, collectively, right? Because I think that matters too. Um, but jumping in a little bit, uh, before we get into the actual elements of world building, just kind of like preface some things here, because I know for me, and we even talked about this too, that there are so many goals, so many reasons why someone would world build or, you know, dive into a story and care about the world in, in nature. In your opinion, why would someone want to world build? And or maybe even ask like for you, what makes world building fun or, or why do you do it? So um, there's a couple components. It's a good question. I would say like the, the biggest thing for me is I want 
the story to feel real. And I feel like there's some element of improvisation in any game where you're like laying the track as the train is running. But there is also like, if you have a world build a world book to draw upon, if you have those kind of tools at the ready, um, you can say, yeah, this is how this would happen in this world. This is what this, you have responses at the ready that can make it feel more authentic and cohesive. And so that's good. It gives the players like a tactile feeling of like immersion of I'm in this place right now and this thing is happening. And when the world building is sloppier, I think you tend to notice uh, the players disconnecting more. And a sloppy world building, like what would that kind of look like in your eyes? Um, There's a lot of things, but sometimes it's like, you know, contradicting yourself where one time you'd say like, you know, um, magic is very rare. And then another time they're like, Hey, can we get a greater healing potion? Like, Oh yeah, this store's got 15 of them. And okay. You know, that and makes like, sense. you know, like stuff that just feels like convenient in the moment, but not like this is a one whole place that you're journeying through. Uh, there can be lots of little details like that. And that happens not just in D and D, but it happens in movies and TV shows where yep. you're watching and experiencing something or even some books where you're experiencing it. And it's like, something here doesn't quite make sense or doesn't feel real in my mind. And it's usually related to incoherent world building. And I'm someone that had a really hard time at world building up front when I first started. Um, I think that for a consistency or like when you say consistency is king too, like I think that that for me in the beginning was way harder because like in a session, you know, it could go one of a million different ways depending on how this, you know, things are, are playing out, what the players want to do, etc. Um, but I think it's really important to, as best as you can, justify all those different types of things even later um, after the session and trying to make sense of all of it so that it all feels good. Because again, you're an amazing improver. So I think that you can take a world, build it all, and then in-game improv and make still make sense of the world. But it's not easy. It's no, exactly. exactly. But it's not like, it, it's it's better to have a framework to do that around. And and like, I, I think of world building as not writing out every single detail of the entire yep. history of the thing. But I think of it more like you build the edge of the puzzle and a couple key parts in the middle of the puzzle. And then the players help you fill in the rest of it as the story is being told. But if you don't have like the border and you don't have a couple of the keystones uh, along the way, I think you can get lost and not really build anything at all. And, and that's the end of my puzzle metaphor. <laughs> well then how many, uh, well I'll continue it. How many puzzles, uh, world worlds have you built? Like have, are, have you used one and you've just been living inside that or do you build multiple every campaign or what? So for Dungeons and Dragons, I have built, I would say three, one that I used, for, for several years as like the cornerstone uh, for different campaigns. And we had different campaigns that would run in different uh, time periods or different um, places in the same world concurrently, uh, but the same basic place. And then a couple that were like for smaller uh, mini campaigns, one shots and smaller campaigns where I developed uh, a small world that was really just for, uh, we didn't need to know the whole world history. We just needed to know enough to get people through the next eight hours. And fair, yeah. And so those would be a lot, a lot less intensive. So I also don't think it's a one size fits all. Like when we're talking fair. about stuff here, it's not going to be like you have to do this for every single campaign. Like adjust the amount of detail to the story you're telling. Hundred percent. That makes perfect sense, especially for someone that may feel a little bit overwhelmed in light of like taking on this whole concept of world building. I've seen so many episodes of, of people talking about on YouTube and world building, and here's all the things that you should do, blah blah blah. Whereas I think where we're meeting in the middle here too is that you do as much or as little as one you want because it's fun or not, and two, what makes sense for the story holistically, and three, what makes sense for the session, right? right. So does that, like, how, how do you play that out? Exactly. If it's a one shot that you're running, you don't need to spend 40 hours figuring <laughs> out the he- history right? of the Goblin Wars from 300 years ago. You need to figure out what matters in the context of this story. Is it, uh, you know, a dungeon run? Is it a heist? What are you, what are you doing? And what, 
what story impacts of the things we're going to talk about, like which things are relevant for that, and then cut out the rest. Now, if you're saying, well, I'm going to do a one-shot, but I'm going to build maybe into an ongoing series, then um, leave doors open for, for adding more flavor later. Uh, but, flavor later. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, but don't, yeah, don't box yourself in or don't like, just kind of like with any big creative pursuit, like if you start too big, you're destined to fail, right? And mm. so starting with like an achievable goal, a small, uh, you know, dose of it and say hey we're gonna i'm gonna try baby steps here uh get through that part and then expand uh but yeah if you don't do so much that it doesn't become fun or it feels like homework no one's gonna enjoy the campaign either you know totally so looking at it from like kind of do's and don'ts within world building it sounds like don't try to figure it all out at once don't uh in nature i mean you could again if it's fun for you you could spend 40 hours uh, in that week to build something like that's awesome but also do rem- that for you don't do, right. don't do that for the game yeah exactly. do that for your fun yeah. and if players are kind of expecting that too so kind of like kind of going down that bunny trail a little bit what should a player expect when they're jumping into a, a campaign and they're like looking to play in this massive world and their gm is going like i can only do so much and i only have so much planned like how do they how do those tensions uh, collide a bit well i mean that's you've talked about that in other times about having like session zero and making sure that Fair. everybody understands what the the game is going to be about but for for a very small campaign uh, i would say set the expectations up front that hey uh we're on a focused mission right here we're going to run this mission if everyone has fun we can go bigger go longer but don't get eyes of like i want to go sail around the world when it's a three-week uh mission but you know it's a three it's three three nights that we're doing this thing it's not uh forever but if you're doing a if you're expecting like hey we're gonna do a year-long campaign right uh, then uh, i think the players should expect or be able to inquire about like the history or the nature of the world as it relates to their character and what their character would have seen or experienced in years previous. I think no one likes it and never feels authentic. If like their character is supposedly a hundred years old or something or 300 years old yet somehow knows nothing about anything (laughs) in the world and and is like been living in a box and they just, until they opened up in campaign episode one. That's yeah. so funny. And then at that point too, then you're just going to be real, asking for history checks constantly. Constantly, right? Okay, would, would I know this? Does my character know this? And like, yeah, that that's a tension to manage for but sure. But if you can give them a little document that gives them some of the yes. key points, like not like a not a fifty page bible, but like here's here's a uh, twenty bullet points of like stuff you might know of key items that relate to your character or your species or your world that would give you some flavor if especially for a longer campaign that can go a long way now i've done that and i think that half my players never open the document um um, (laughs) and uh um that's fine but you give them the tool if they want it and they have it and they can make a richer story. And plus then it's probably just good practice for you as the GM to have those answers as best as you can. So then when they do come up or those questions come up and they didn't read your pamphlet or whatever, right. you can still I have them. the document open. Exactly. On my, exactly. I've got it, it open on my computer and then I can look at it and reference it while we're playing the game. So then with that being said, with world building, where do you centralize all your info? Like when you're world building and like, putting it all in a central place, what does that look like? Um, I know a lot of people do use different software tools, and I've tried that out uh, a little bit um, myself. Uh, I have actually found the most success with Google Sheets. Cool. Um, and I, like, I just, because I use Google Sheets a lot in my not, yep. my work life, so I'm very familiar with adding tabs and adding information. So it's an easy way to sort and write stuff down and move stuff around and rearrange it. Um, I've, I've tried a whole bunch of other stuff, but right now that's been my go-to is have a basically one Google doc with like everything in the world. And then like tabs and sub pages for all the different relevant points. 
Yeah. I even went through a couple episodes ago talking about the resources that I use for my good storytelling. And, and in a similar way, I, I use Notion. It's it's a creative note-taking app. I can put art in there. But that also has given me inspiration to continually world-build in a fun way. Because I can put for an NPC a picture of them that I find in Google and put all their info on what that NPC is if, right. if needed. Exactly. Um, and that's so fun fulfilling and and fun for me which again might not be for you and might be for somebody else but i would say in all this though that it's really important to put it all in a central place and and i think that's common sense right but a place that's that you're going to use and like right like with any sort of world building or any sort of tools to help you in the game you don't want it to be something that takes so long to key enter the stuff or find the stuff that it becomes unusable something that's easy for you is the most important part Totally. And, and with that too, I was even watching a video, uh, it was about the Exandria Unlimited, like the GMs coming together and they're talking about their, their games and stuff of the recent stuff with Critical Role. And it was funny because, um, Matt was talking about his world and his world building and he was like, I still feel like I don't have enough. And Brennan, Brennan Mulligan comes in and he's like, wait a second, you have two source books and you still feel like it's not ready? Um, can you speak to the person who's feeling like, ah, I feel like I have to world build more in order to start a game or even get something off the ground, whether it's a one shot or a 50 plus session thing? Well, I think we will talk about some of this in our in our next parts of this conversation because I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what's good in these sections, but also like what is enough. Uh, but I, I think for me, like not to get ahead of us, but for me yeah. it is really about um, focus on the story you're telling next month, like in the next one to four weeks. And what do you need for your characters to interact with the story immediately in that future? Thinking out further than that, I think can lead to this uh, imposter syndrome inferiority complex where you're like, Hmm. I don't have enough. Nothing is good enough. I'm not ready. I'm not... Uh, I have to keep doing more because you're thinking about all of the what ifs on the what ifs on the what ifs. Think about like the current what ifs. Like like the party can only do so much in a couple weeks when you have the current mission running or the current plot. So focus on that and then um, the rest will come and you'll see as you're working through it. Like I, I think it's a process that grows. I don't think it's something that you build all ahead of time and Matt built parts of it but then added a lot as the campaigns were going on and as characters made choices or as they showed interest in certain stuff that's when he's like oh we're gonna do a whole lot more with this moon stuff because the people are all into this moon stuff and they he reacted to what his players were doing that's that's kind of how i view it is if you try to go too far ahead on yourself it doesn't become a collaborative story anymore it becomes you're writing a book (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's so good. I think, and I've even just watching watching people on Twitch and even maybe my own self and, and my own expectation of me. Like I'll, I remember in my first campaign that I ran, I was on an anniversary trip with my wife and there I'm like writing out world building stuff in a session. And I, I wrote it out to such a fatigue that like I was writing out what the NPCs exactly were saying and the conversations that were going to be had. And and then we get to the session and we're just, it just felt so robotic. So kind of, you know, taking that 50,000 foot up view a bit, I think I'm mean, 100% agreeance with you. I shouldn't have done that. Right. And I think that looking at a world, leave things open. As, but also, again, if you want to fill it with things, fill it with things. Right. If you think, I, I never write dialogue unless I have like a banger, like a really awesome line. <laughs> like that's like, Ooh, this will be a great line to it's end a, a session or a great line to end like a mid session break or something. Like I'll write one of those down somewhere and be like, Oh, I'll throw that in with somebody. But I, yeah, I never write like actual dialogue or, or character responses because yeah, I felt every time I've tried that, it's felt like, hello, I am a robot. You are repeating what you are supposed to say. We are repeating what you're supposed to, yeah. yeah. No, I, and so like that was just a miss that I, I and, yeah. and I wish I would have known that, but now. You fail and then you learn. It's totally. I have though in the past used different modules and different uh, homebrew worlds from myself or other people's homebrewed worlds. Like I did my first campaign, I did my own. Then I did Eberron and used the full setting of Eberron. Then the third one, I was using all the Forgotten Realms material all together. And then now recently, I've just been building out my whole world myself 
What what did that look like for you? If you ever used modules I, or homebrew stuff, what? I used a module for a one shot once, my first like time I, I led, and I was like, "This is not uh, this is not fun for me. I don't like reading other people's material uh, for myself." As far as like the whole world goes, I felt boxed in, and so I did. I ran one thing like that, and then afterward, uh, I started from scratch, homebrewing myself. And that was before I had like seen any Critical Role or Dimension Twenty or anything like that. So I was I was really going in uh, cold, based on my understanding of the game and my understanding of film and television fiction and how to create a story. And I made a lot of mistakes in that first <laughs> that first time around. And I kind of learned as I went and made corrections for for the next couple of years. You know, so. Those of you listening, learn from our mistakes now. Yeah. Learn from them or don't, and just do whatever you want. Let's talk about some of our mistakes. So, what are let's talk about world building mistakes because uh, perfect yeah, segue. I think for me, world building mistake number one was I, like I, I think I even alluded to it: writing everything in to such a degree that when it came to the moments, I the players wanted something completely different, and I couldn't offer. I felt totally stuck. In such a degree where then I honestly felt like I just wasted so much of my time prepping and doing all these things when it just wasn't in the reality yep. of the game. It wasn't where they were going to go. It wasn't where... Yeah. Um, I, I've done the same sort of initial railroading. My favorite mistake I made in the very beginning <laughs> was um, I gave uh, the players this like all this mission and this plan and this plot they were going to do. And what I did not give them was a compelling reason for their characters Boom. to do it. Wow. And on week one, the party is all like, yeah, I'm done. And they all split and went in different directions. And, and we're off and doing all things. Now, some of it is I could have had more support from the players to like buy into the adventure and stuff. Right. But I did a bad job on giving them a compelling reason to drive the story. Like I was so focused on the world. I didn't focus on their characters in the moment and what mattered to them. And so like, here's all this cool stuff happening in the world. Great. But how does it matter to me? That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I also, another one that for me of world building, um, ironically, I think a mistake for me has been using other people's worlds. Now that I've like started to really enhance my world and build it out. Like, it feels way more fun and way more entertaining. Like I, this is gonna be maybe people will hate me for saying this. I don't like Curse of Strahd, and maybe if you, I don't know what your thoughts are, I, I only know of it through you and through what I've read on the internet. So, so I have no opinion. Using that world, and I like tried to implement it into my second or third campaign. I can't remember, and I just it it that whole world in and of itself, and the motive is just like you're stuck here. And good luck. And but also here's everything that you quote unquote need. But there's so many times that I that like I feel boxed in using a module for a world in and of itself as well, right? What I do love though when I actually did it with Eberron is that there's a piece of it um, called the Day of Mourning. There was a other big a catastrophic magical event that occurred, a big arcanic blast, and and it says though up to your discretion on what happened. And I loved that, though. But when you get to these modules like Curse of Strahd, oh. where it's like, literally, the verbiage, the descriptions, and then the conversation points that are in there, I, 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 it just felt so hard to navigate. Here, here is my, my opinion on all of the published oh, here material. here we go. Yeah. Here we go. All of the, the published material is... Trigger warning. ...is amateurs imitate and professionals steal. And it is... My view is that if you're trying to just parrot or imitate everything that they have as written you're not gonna have a very fun time steal the parts you like take lift the parts that are good from it and put them into your own world it's a game you're playing with your friends unless you're one of the 0.001 of players who are making money playing this game yep um and you're not if you're listening you're not <laughs> you're just probably not you, you're yeah um, hi Matt. Hi Brennan. Yeah. Everybody else, no. Right. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so unless you're, unless you're that, then there is no harm in taking 
anything from these elements say you know what i love this part and i love this cool monster or this cool lair setup that they they, they gave us or i love like yeah the the plot hook that they brought in but all this other baggage is getting in my way get rid of it bring in different stuff bring in what you yep. want like everything I, like my first campaign was a hodgepodge of like i would say general lord of the rings fantasy stuff cool. and the first season uh or seasons one through four of star trek deep space nine like i i, I took right. uh, like two very different things and kind of mushed together the parts i liked and i um made characters that were kind of fantasy analogs of various star trek characters that i knew and i knew it was such an old reference and it was something that wasn't in the forefront of my players minds that it's not like hello my name is perry hotter and um <laughs> You know, like it, it's it's a it's a reference that like would maybe feel familiar or parts mm. that would um, that would feel like the story felt lived in or real because I was borrowing from something that was a very lived in real world. Right. But um, take the elements that make sense. Take what take what feels good for you, and and don't the modules are. They're more guidelines than actual of, rules. Oh yes. my gosh. I wish I had a nickel every time I've heard you say that. Yes. <laughs> or seen it in an Instagram DM for me. That's right. Um, I think all those are all of this has been a great preface um, as we're going to dive into these elements here. Is there anything else that you would want to make sure if, if all the GMs in the world were sitting right here and you could just give them just another thought or again, hit home in, what would be the main sort of advice or thought that you would want to instill? Um, remember... That it's a game and uh <laughs> the point of the game is to have fun mm. uh the point of the game isn't to win it's not to outsmart people it's not to show everyone how cool you are the point of the game is to have fun remember that with everything you're doing and everything we're about to talk about well let's have fun kind of diving into these sound good let's go okay so uh eric and i have boiled down these uh, elements or just like pieces of world building uh, into 10 specific elements. So and I'm going to just name them all really quick. Uh, you got creation, you got, uh, or creation history, you got powerful beings, you got cosmos and beyond, magic and technology, inhabitants or races, continents, locations and terrain, kingdoms and organizations, creatures and monsters, and lastly, a calendar season and holidays. How does that feel hearing that first to you? Like that's, I mean, I think that that's a lot. That feels overwhelming. Totally. So we're not going to talk about all of it right now. We're going to break it up. Into the first five, the creation history, powerful beings, cosmos and beyond, magic and technology, and magic and technology. Yes, those are, yeah. So we're starting with creation. Yeah, let's, let's, let's dive right into this. Um, so when we say creation, we don't mean like necessarily how a dream gets blossomed in, in and of itself. But what, what we're talking about is, how things came to be, who was a part of it, and why. So from your experience, how has creation and writing that, that creation within story even mattered? Or have you focused on that ever, like within the oh, story? Yeah. Or? And so the, like, creation uh, in Dungeons & Dragons, and we're, it applies to other RPGs as well, but pr principally in Dungeons & Dragons, the worlds uh, are created by... Uh, gods and it's usually a plurality of gods not one single creator and usually the gods are like semi-omnipotent beings yep. they're, they're like beings that have lots of power but they're not all powerful and all-knowing and so um in my first world i focused on um like I, I wrote out like probably four pages that I don't think, I think again, I gave to players, nobody read, but I wrote it out like sort of as creation myth. Like if you're okay. writing the book of Genesis for your world, I wrote out that. And I'm not saying you have to do this, but I did it as sort of like what, where did things start? And the reason I did that is because one of the elements in the story was going to be these artifacts from the beginning of creation mm -hmm. that had like, leftover power lingering from the creation of the world. And um, and so I was like, well, how do these artifacts kind of come into being? And I wrote a, a story. And so as I was doing that, I kind of said, well, I need a God who's all about like the earth and stuff. So I kind of wrote that in. And I was like, I need a God who's about like time and the passage right. of time. And so I put that into the story. And I ended up having like six or seven named gods and then a whole bunch of 
vague gods in the background, but it gave me enough of a framework to say, this is sort of how the world was made and these gods are active in the world and these ones have sort of left the world behind or why. And um, for, for a game where players can literally call their god for active help in a battle. Right. Like, I feel like it's important to at least know, like, what is the nature of, the like, the, the world that they've made and their relationship to it. And that's going to come into the powerful beings we'll talk about in a, in a minute. But, yeah. like, when, like, how did it, get, how did it all happen? Like, how did it all start? And I think, and, I, and I'm just thinking about, like, two source materials, like, Theros, um, yeah. where like the gods are so involved or they're like, you know, they're just very prevalent. Or I think about, uh, an, an Eberron in that source, source book, there is a, the full story of the three dragons and like, that's all the creation occurs and it, all the magic came from that. Plus there's different objects like in your story where they came from the dragons and their actual, their scales that are pieces of magic in the world. Um, but I think what you're hitting on, it really hits on all the elements is that like, what makes this, this is an element that you potentially think about, but only dive as much in as it makes sense for the story, right. which again, we've been hit on several times. And here, I but. could have written like a lot more about it, but I kind of was like, well, this got me the parts I needed to figure out like how that's going to relate to these artifacts that they're going to find, or they're going to be looking for. So put that away and let's move on to the next part. And that's kind of where my brain went is like, all right, I got enough of that. And then I went to focus on other areas of the world building um, which, you know, are some of the ones we put on the list. Yeah. Um, but I, I only did as much as I needed. And then later in the game, like the campaign ran for a couple of years. So later on in like year two or three, um, I did have, uh, scenarios where, oh, I want to go back to that well and flesh out a little bit more, um, of like, how did things come to be or something that I, like, I didn't really discuss how dragons came to be before. So let's, make up a, a myth of like how did dragons get created and I did kind of backfill some of that but that's because it was relevant at the time and it yep. you know so that's when I, I didn't need it in the beginning so I didn't stress over it. a couple other ideas that you could do for creation in it of itself is to actually write a couple different creation stories a little like and they don't have to be massively long and super detailed but again maybe creation was three millennia ago or whatever and the world has obviously changed. People have different opinions on things. So you could have four or five, ten different legends, quote unquote. I mean, we have those in our world. hundred percent. So like, that's something that you don't even need to settle on one. Just like write a, a bunch of them and, and hold to a couple. And even I've done this too with, you know, talking about a player being a part of world building. I've actually had the players, Hey, what would your character believe to be the true creation story and right. narrative? And then boom, that's what makes sense for them and let them create that. So now you can have another, either that is it or you have another one. Right. And if something ends up contradicting that story, you've weaved in the fact that it's a long time ago. People don't remember <laughs> stuff. And that doesn't become a, a narrative contradiction. It becomes actually more of an exciting revelation for the players of like, oh, this happened. Whoa. Right, and if you're having a story or a campaign that's not really based on that, maybe you have a group of five rogues, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Again, or whatever, and they're not really magical individuals. You know, they're probably not. You, this might not be as necessary for you because, again, it's about your story, right? So, when we think about creation, the way that I think about it within a story is to just to help explain the origins, who's made what, and how did it, how did they do that, and maybe even why. And I think when I recently started world building my world called Asar, I actually started with this before I had any other idea. I don't even have a story yet for it. Um, I'm actually having pe playing with different people with like how your idea uh, that you told me about recently with what you're going to be doing um, about your story and, and having different groups, etc. But that felt like the cornerstone of the anchor for my world was this creation story that I built. Um, but I've also wrote five or six other narrative creation stories just to help. So any other thoughts when, or, or advice when it comes to writing a creation story or a narrative? Um, again, I would say make it fun, but not ludicrously silly, unless that's the world you're going for. But like that will set the tone for the, the game 
not just not necessarily with the players, but in your own mind, is you know if the world was created because uh, you know a god was sucking on a candy cane and threw out the wrapper, and then the wrapper grew into a, like a plastic forest, like it's gonna set the tone for the rest of it. So if you have a serious <laughs> campaign, um, treat it with like a pseudo reverence, like oh, cool. treat like the creation process should feel like this was an epic and grand thing that happened back then. Unless you don't want your game to be very epic and grand, then say it was some, you know, right. then change it around. Right. But again, I think that there was just a couple ideas in there that could be really helpful for you when you're writing a creation story. But what about how creation, obviously just doesn't stay that one moment. It then builds out into history, right. it builds out into a collection of how time is evolving, revelation of to that, that creation story, how have things revolved from the beginning to now or into the future. So that's, I think the thing we do the worst as DMs, uh, is that everything feels like I kind of alluded to earlier with the players, but like everything feels like the world was frozen until we, that was a snap for those of you. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it was a poor snap. Um, it was frozen until snap, like the game starts and then everything, all the NPCs, all the world just starts moving and it doesn't feel like this is a world that has been moving and we're just diving into it. That's the that's the part I think we're weakest at. And so I wouldn't I would avoid if especially for the overwhelmingness of it. Yep. I would avoid writing a million different events chronicling. I wouldn't do the Silmarillion, you know, <laughs> as your starting point. Um, like reminder for everybody, like the the published starting point for that dude was The Hobbit, a short self-contained adventure about a treasure run, you know, that's, um, that's good. That's a good and point. there was history and stuff in the background that informed a lot of it, but he had a couple key points. And I would say that find like half a dozen to a dozen, like, uh, like key moments in history or key events or key things that are enough to build flavor enough to add. Like if you've got characters that are humans and orcs and elves, Make sure at least two or three of those relate to humans, orcs, and elves. You know, like yep. events that like kind of tie to their history or their shared history so that there's texture there. And like, are they at peace? Are they at war? Have they been at war for centuries? Have they been at peace for centuries? Like, get enough of that so it feels like... Um, it feels like the players aren't going into a frozen place that you're unfreezing magically. Like, that it feels right. like... These people have been doing stuff. These conflicts have existed. Um, th like that, that's my, my biggest part. But what are your thoughts on like, how do you, how do you build history? Well, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head with, I actually start out with the eight, the different ages. So I've got a creation story or whatever, but then like I have about eight to 10 different ages of history that are and one single word or sentence that describes that said age just so that I know, okay, well, this was the age of ruin and it lasted 4,800 years. And the reason why it was that was because of a big war that happened, whatever. And then the age after that is the age of resur resurrection. It's when all the, the, everybody comes back and the world is, is getting healthy. So like you can have, instead of like making it only about uh, this happened than this and this and this but it's like maybe be a little bit more generic up front kind of yeah. build that frame here are the here are the four ages of the world the age of demons to the age of uh humanity to the age of etc and some of the ages especially recently can be short like meaning yeah. like you could say like we've had you know 20 years of an uneasy peace after many years of war um and that can be a great start for a setting uh, but it's kind of setting the table of this is the, the current age uh, that you're in. And the current age doesn't have to be thousands of years long. It can be a couple decades or a couple, it could be a year and say we just ended a big conflict or we just started a big war, depending on the situation. Exactly. Yeah. And that's actually what I'm doing right now, taking your idea and even taking a little bit of uh, the critical role world is that I have the different ages kind of mapped out a bit, but I'm playing in them with different groups of people to actually build out the story and the history for each. Right. So like 
so it, that's so fun to think about. Like stuff that characters do in one game exactly. could have impact stuff that's happening with different characters in a different game. And that to me as a world builder and a storyteller fills my heart so much because like I did a, even a one shot with a, with a guy um, who was, he wanted to be a, a sword. So he was a sentient sword that would then uh, attune to a, a, a body, like a dead body. And it was this weird thing that was so fun, but through that one shot, it built out a narrative. There's a, a specific NPC that came from that. Then there was the, this whole sort of new opportunity with the, the Shadow Realm that was coming. It's just like that helped me to go, oh, that's what's happening next. And right. here's what. So that's yeah. that's how I did it. Uh, um, that lays the track, right? And that So again, with history, I, I feel like that's where people can either go overboard and then bail out and yep. then like say, ah, I'm, I'm done or we don't have enough. And it feels like, well, you're just, you're, you know, in a medieval area and everybody is, you know, has lives in medieval huts and there's castles and like, it's all stuff that we saw in the fellowship of the ring. <laughs> and it doesn't feel like my world specifically. So um, using the the creation as a starting point is say, okay, how have things progressed? Are there parts of the world that are less developed than other parts? And we'll come to some of that in, the, in a bit. But like, as far as the history, why is that? Where some people may be rich with gold or something, and that's why they were able to, or they had natural resources, and that's why they were able to progress faster. Um, just make it make it feel like something that would make sense to you and. And if it makes sense to you, it'll probably make sense to your players. Well, and I'm going to be a player coming to you, uh, DM, with... Uh, I want to be a wizard that's been a history teacher for 30 years. Ooh, yeah. And you're like, <laughs> well, you got it. You better give them some history. I'm going to be rolling history checks only this yeah. whole campaign. Exactly. <laughs> and so, th- like, you have to have enough to... So that it makes right. sense for them. It makes that player doesn't feel like you're just constantly pulling it out of thin air. Exactly. And another simple quick idea, and we'll move on here, is that the Forgotten Realms, like 5th edition narrative, the story that people have been putting together for the past years, or how many years? Six, seven, eight years with 5th edition or so? Yeah. Um, it's so long. Literally, you can go from the whole... It's like 12 pages long of the history of just like the date, what happened, and then how it connected. So like an idea could be just go through and like maybe pick a couple that you like. That look cool. Like, exactly. oh, that's a fun idea. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing. Steal it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, what was that? What's the phrase that you said? Amateurs imitate, but professionals steal. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. So you've got a creation... Uh, in and of itself, a narrative. We got history, which you know, trying to create lore about civilization, the people, which again, the present and the future are byproducts of once was, right? So that's your history. Now filling in that, so we're, we're kind of like like a funnel, kind of yeah, going down, we're narrowing a bit, down, going into the the powerful beings that have then laid. Maybe they're the ones that laid the foundation to all this. You know, who the gods are, the deities, righteous, evil, powerful entities or creatures. Or, or ones that have maybe emerged afterward, after the creation. Um, w- in my opinion, one of the greatest uh, Dungeons & Dragons-themed uh, fictions that I have ever seen is a webcomic called The Order of the Stick. It's been running okay. for about 15 years. So it started in like 3.5, the beginning of 3.5, and it's still running today. And they have a pantheon of gods. One of their characters serves Thor, uh, and... <laughs> Uh, you know, he calls lightning down cool. and uh, other characters have served other gods, but the goblins in the story have actually, uh, with their collective belief and stuff, created a new goblin god. Uh, cool. And I'm spoiling vaguely parts of the story, <gasps> uh, but from 10 years ago. Uh, right. But spoiler warning in reverse. But um, the uh, the idea that like, these aren't like all necessarily the creator, but maybe they've come about through forces in the world, or maybe some of the gods have bred. But again, I don't think you need to have a 40 page list of every single God and their powers. What you really want to do is as your play, you find out who your players are, or you find out what kind of classes they're going to be, what kind of characters they're going to be is establish enough gods at your disposal or grab from one of the many established gods in the, uh, published, uh, 
Wizards of the Coast canon. Like, find stuff that fits your campaign and find stuff that is interesting to you where you're like, I can work with this character or this god. Um, but then also decide, is how interacting are they with the world? Is this stuff where, like, you know, you regularly see, like, hello, I am your creator, or, or like... Are you my creator? Who's yeah, talking? Yeah. Worship <laughs> me. Or is it stuff where, like, it's people believe and they have altars, but they've never seen them. Right. And never heard them. Like, those are different situations, and the characters will react differently. Like, having, like, uh, a divine smite when you've routinely talked to the god that powers you, uh, it's different for a player's choice than... I have never heard the voice of my God and I'm calling on him for help. And if I get this like, you know, right. attack to come in, like, wow, I have a new faith. Like something is, <laughs> something has changed. Like, look at this. So narratively at that point, it's important to, to know potentially who that powerful being could be right. or, or whatever. I think what you're also hitting at too, is that in the story, like, for example, I'll say it this way. Say you'd have a desire to have a... There was a deity civil war that happened, and that's why a continent is half alive, right? It might be important to maybe write out who was a part of that. I, I, <laughs> you, I literally had one of those. Like, okay. Read my, like, I had it, like, in the, my creation story, I wrote that four pages. Some of it was, like, two of these gods fought over another god. Like, they both loved the same other god. And they fought and, like, destroyed a continent or created, like, two new continents as a result of it and created an ocean in between. Um, yeah, you should probably name those guys or at least know a little bit about them because that might come up later or you might have reason to draw that into your story if that's related to your plot. Uh, yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. Is like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely do that because, again, I wouldn't spend hours on it, but I have, like, all right, have a name and have, like, some characteristics. Like, this is, you know, Bordas, the really angry god, and this is, you oh, know... I know him. Grocknock, the super cheerful god or something, and say, you know, Bordas is the god of, you know, uh, fire and clouds, and, you know, Grocknock is the god of uh, sugar plums and, uh, you know, <laughs> cotton candy. Wow, that's a very interesting world you have. <laughs> but the powerful beings in nature, like, don't have to be a, a deity. Like, you could have just a powerful being that's a massive tree. Yeah. Like, it, for whatever reason. I also have... The great Deku tree. Yeah, exactly. I also had, like, a magic item could potentially be a powerful being. What if it's a sentient sword? Similar and to what I was sharing before. I believe the most powerful being in the most powerful fantasy story is a metal ring. Um, Ooh, you know, like... There uh, it is. Yeah, that uh, ruled all. Uh, um, and <laughs> what what so what, something that I did that was actually helpful for me in, in writing my powerful beings and like continually growing them and thinking through them is like I kind of created a hierarchy for myself yeah. to understand power because power can be massive in scope to like a mundane power when we talk about like magic items like little tiny mundane aspects but like how how do all of these powerful beings have power where did that come from in them is it like you said did were they created were they with did they do some weird thing with they mated with humanoids and like right. now there's demigods in the world like come up with enough details to be to be like able to answer questions about that but not enough that you have like that you box yourself in so as a i'm i don't know if you know this but i'm a comic book fan um <laughs> and I, I i have a couple a uh, couple tens of thousands of them yeah and, you do. um and with that i have always steered away from who is stronger like hulk versus uh the thing or silver surfer versus captain america or you know spider-man versus thor or whatever like i always steered away from that stuff okay. because in my mind uh whoever it's like they're rarely like both pressing against a wall or whatever to see like who is, you know, strong. It's it's usually the plot and the story and the moment and say, okay, this character is, uh, you know, coming in from this swing and this character has uh, been fighting off this other thing and so he's distracted or like, like right. nothing is static like that. And so I love to have that hierarchy in, in the God world as well. I built like a similar, like a tree of like, 
here is like the creators and then here's some of the like the second generation and here's these lower ones that are down the pole but i also felt like it doesn't mean that if they're a lower god that or a lower powerful being that like they aren't more dangerous than these totally. other ones. Like, or couldn't change couldn't where, like, change. they swap a spot. Exactly. For whatever like, reason. Because, like, the plot might change. Like, the story, yep. like, the, that's where the interesting stories are, is that, hey, this underdog comes in and swoops ahead. Like, if the stories were always, well, Hulk is stronger than Spider-Man, so he always wins, uh, then no one's gonna want to read it. Or in the game... If you're like, well, if you know this is always X is always going to be O, then you don't want to play. Right. And and so, like making it where hey, you have a hierarchy and stuff, but there's magic and who knows what'll happen. Yeah. And what if your players are just actually smart <laughs> and right. they want they're like, I've created uh, a you know an ability or a weapon or something, and I can go fight against things and. GM, let me do it. Like, cause it actually makes logistical sense. Why not? Let them do it. You know, have fun. Go so, crazy. So then with this, then is there anything else within a powerful being, um, narratively that is important for us when world building that, that from your perspective or things that, you know, don'ts, do's, etc. Um, I, I would say, uh, they should feel human ish in their motivations. Like, if you make it so that you, the the DM, who is a human, unless, hello, people from the planet Zorg, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, unless you listening are a human, uh, like, you have to make it something, and their players are humans, make it something that is, their motivations are relatable That's to good. us as humans. If it's like, if you don't know what the God's motivation is, your story's gonna suck. Yep. Like, if, if you don't know what it is, and if that comes into the story at all, like then it's going to feel uh, incoherent. And you've even taught me uh, to improvise actions, not goals. Yes. You know, and so and similarly, if you're writing a, a moment where a god shows up or whatever, something happened or they're communicating with them and you don't know why they did what they did or their motive behind something and you're going to improvise it, I mean, be prepared and as best it, be prepared it's gonna flop yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I wanted to, you said it for me yeah um but no i think that makes perfect sense and it connects to the cosmos and beyond because the question is like what's in the universe who made the universe you know it, or was it just like a, a thing that blew up or was it a candy bar that a god ate then through the wrappers exactly. the universe like you said the various planes where are they and kind of like who's there i think that comes after, in my opinion, the the powerful being. So, like, jumping into the cosmos. The cosmos. So, yeah, I, I don't want to spend too long there, except that you should have an idea of what planes or what other places they can go. Because especially if your players have it in their little sheet that they can transport to another dimension at level 8 or whatever, you bet that they're going to do it. Totally. But when they have that power, they're going to go do it. So, um, like... <laughs> It, in so much as it's a whole nother topic exactly. of like know your players stuff exactly no, <laughs> to some degree a hundred percent but in so much as that like you don't have to know every single thing you should know is there a fey realm that comes into interaction with our world because that's heavily involved with a lot of the characters races and and beings in the dungeons and dragons material you should kind of know how that interacts with your world and like is this a common thing a rare thing how is travel between them work? But it, it's also something that I don't want to limit too much because there might be something where they're like, I want to go to the under realm. Or, uh, and I was like, well, I don't know what the under realm is. I want to go. I have to make that up. I'm like, we'll see what happens next week. <laughs> oh. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, let's go make up an under realm. Like, I don't want to box in and say, well, there is no under realm. Well, you, okay, yeah. well, really quick, kind of like a, like a moment. Uh, honestly, maybe this is, uh, it's a little off topic, but like what you just did there is okay. Like GMs, like it's okay to say yes. Don't, I would say, don't say no too much. Say yes. And then come up with the real answer later. Yeah. Because that's going to, It'll pay off. It'll pay off. It'll totally... Matt, Matt did this on Critical Role a couple weeks ago where I'm not going to spoil... I'm going to just vague it as much so no one gets spoiled. But there was a moment where people did something and he didn't really know how to react. So he's like, 
cool. This is what you guys did. And that's all for this week, folks. <laughs> like, and then he gave him, and he talked about it later in one of his uh, uh, chats, is he said it gave him a week to figure out, well, this is really cool. What does it look like? Right. You know, and how do I do this thing? And yeah, there's no shame in that. Uh, so like that's you don't the, have to know everything all the time. Exactly. So the, I just wanted to highlight that because that's the perfect example of what we're saying as we go through each of these is that lay out as much as you want or as needed for the story. Come up with your answers later, but don't just in the face of what the players are looking for, be kind of like a snob or just like a, a no lawyer in, in that sense. Say say yes, offer the thing, do your best, improvise, and then come up with the solution later. So again, for the cosmos and like anything beyond that, if you're looking for specific, like if your stories are on mind, uh, uh, mind flares, you know, and you know, coming up with a, where did they come from? Are you going to use the same lore that is in the Forgotten Realms? Which you can. It's just that's the kind of thing is that you're asking all these types of questions. Why, where, how, when, so. Exactly. As a parent, your kids ask you stuff all the time and sometimes you know the answers and sometimes you don't. The danger is to say, well, I always know the answers all the time, but there's no problem with saying, you know what, son, I'm going to go look that up and get back to you. (laughs) Um, and with the game, um, if you if your players expect you to know everything and are intolerant of that, just get new players. Totally. Um, you know, like you just don't need to deal with that kind of drama in your life. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so then la- again, we'll just we'll move on to this because I think the part. next one's my favorite. My favorite. Yeah. Again, but for the cosmos, I, even what I did recently, I just went through and, and just looked up what the the circle of the cosmos of fifth edition, like the main one, and just copied and pasted that one exactly. because like it's it's all. To make a, a tree of the planes, I mean, it could be fun for you. Someone, you could do it. But the, for me, I'm going to spend more time on magic and technology. I totally copied and pasted. And then I spent a little bit of time, like, with how the Fey world worked because I had a couple characters who were Fey based. Exactly. And otherwise, skip it. Cool. Well, let's go, not to, interesting. let's go to the thing that we like. <laughs> magic and technology. So this one, um, oh, man. I, so it's, I think it's so critical because it's so tactical tactical like yep. you have players who are going to presumably either perform magical acts or use and interact with weapons objects technology in the world and um it, we base these games on like a pseudo historical version of our own world yep. as far as like levels of technology and such and so that's why it it would feel jarring if people were, you know, living in castles and huts with swords and shields, and then the one guy has a laser beam. And um a ray gun. Yeah, a ray gun, exactly. A ray a laser gun. Like pew pew. And you're like, this like to come to this technology doesn't make sense because he'd have to have numerous other technologies established to to build and make this thing and it will make your world not feel coherent, not feel real. And so having an established, like this is about the level of technology that we have deciding, do we have blimps or dirigibles? Do we have trains or locomotives or the motor? Do we have the printing press yet? Um, Like how that helps with a lot of magic stuff is like, is everybody handwriting these magic books and scrolls? Yeah. Or are these printed? Because if they're printed, it could be a lot more available and a lot more accessible uh, use of that kind of magic. And if not, then these things should be very pricey and difficult to come by. Um, with, uh, with magic itself is like, how many wizards are there in the world? Are there like 20 or are there like eight hundred or it ten scarce? million? Yeah, yeah. Is it scarce. Is it is it like completely compatible with everybody? Like, does everybody have a have the magic a, in you? It's like everyone yes. has a cantrip that they know, right? right. Like, so you no, know, you're you're you. This makes this is so fulfilling for me, especially because I cannot stand. And now I'm gonna get a little rant here. And when I've told you about this, I cannot stand if you cast detect magic, and your GM goes, um, you feel a sense of magical essence detect magic tells me what the school is what color does it look like and what's actually happening right so and i think that is so meaningful for a player for you to be like 
it is a purplish black energy that is covering a specific the the floor next to you which you would know has this necrotic evil that's coming through now it might take you four minutes to like look up what's the school of magic for the thing that they're seeing right now or whatever but I'd rather give the players a short break and, and look up that thing than give them a vague answer on that, which is why I think world building a little bit of that to have the knowledge ahead of time, um, it, it helps avoid you feeling like, I'm making this up as I go along. And we are. We are. That's part of the story. But the, the trick of good dungeon mastering, game mastering, is not making it feel like it. Like, yep. you, you know, even if you are making it up as you go along, you want it to feel like this is the world you've been in the whole time. And and that's that's what immersion is, is that feeling like I'm really there and this is really happening. And then I would even recommend, though, because I, I did this for myself after I f- failed at this so many times, I just put it on my GM screen. I just put the schools of magic, a color, yep. and a simple description, literally like a forward description. So I just remembered when they do cast it because anytime a player has the tech magic, they're going to use it. Even though it's only 30 feet, or I think it's more as you get later, but it, it's give them something. So I, I think the tech... The magic, like you said, ma- like there's a reason why there's tech. How did that come to be? Where did like how is it infused with magic? Right. And if you have an artificer, like you should know some of this stuff. If you have an artificer, especially you, you have to know like what level of stuff can they make? Because the artificers are immediately going to say like, I want an iPad, and you know like <laughs> um, they're gonna they're gonna want to go to like the most technological extremes, or yeah, I want a machine gun. And that I'm gonna that I'm going to build, and you have to understand what are the limits of the world and what are the abilities they have, so that you can create collaborative boundaries that everyone's playing in the same playbook. And it's not that you have to have a list of every single allowed item, right. as much as you give a general gist, two or three sentences that gives everybody gets around on the same page, and so you're all just having fun together instead of one person gets you know dreams of creating a satellite in space uh, that can help track their movements and attack their enemies with bombs or whatever. And the other people are like, that is not happening. Well, that, yeah. that connects to then, you know, if you're if you're playing in a sci-fi world, if you're playing in a Western type of field, if you're playing in modern day, just or like steampunk here. steampunk or whatever. Steampunk, yeah. especially. Like, yeah, absolutely. Or if it's, again, now now you're just connecting the magic and the technology. Like, is the magic connected to a deity? Did the deities give, or the, the some sort of powerful being from the plane of whatever, give magic to humans you know how did that play out does that matter i don't know does technology run on the same stuff it does like electricity and stuff in our world or does it run on magic right like like figure out a couple of those things um because i think that helps that helps in the combat in exploration you know in role play and all the key points of the game it helps it become tangible and real Especially if you're casting, or if you're going to be like an arcana check to some yeah. degree, an intelligence-based thing within magic and nature. If Again, if you have a wizard, come on. If you have a sorcerer. You, it, there's so much magic. Every Monks, rogues can have magic. Like Wizards are going to say, can I copy uh, you know, spells from anywhere nearby? You got to know, like, what's available? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, because they're going to ask. So all this, though, is to really just help explain... How would you put that? It's helping to explain what? Like magic and technology is helping to kind of explain. It, it's saying like, it, it's it's saying not just this is how it works, but it's saying like, this is how your characters interact with these fundamental elements Fair. of the game. It's like, so as you're playing, it's, it's like empowering the role play because your characters are going to be making decisions. Uh, like, what do I use? What's available for me in this imaginary world? And they need to be able in their minds to fill in some of the blanks of what is available to them. And it has to somewhat align with what's filling in the blanks in your head as the, the game master. And if you can uh, give them enough of a playbook that they're filling in their minds with the same sort of stuff you are, then it's going to be a great game. If they're filling in their blanks with totally different stuff than you're filling it in with, you guys are going to clash and not have fun. All fair. 
that makes perfect sense. So then as we wrap this up here, within the five elements that we that we shared, creation, history, powerful beings, um, the cosmos beyond, and then magic technology, how would you kind of summarize them or boil them into this, like a, in a group um, a, a group as we've just talked about? Like how would you kind of summarize them as well, best you can? These are the building blocks, the cornerstone, the foundation for your world. Yeah. The stuff we're going to be talking about a little later fills in more of the funnel high, like, like more, uh, complex things, but these basic things, like spending at least a few minutes on each yep. of them, I think is so critical because it informs everything else that you're doing. Having that in the back of your head is like the, the playbook mm-hmm. that lets you, um, run your game coherently love it well i'm excited for next week too as we talk about part two, part yeah. two. um and if you're having trouble uh, right now you're kind of already world building and maybe you're stuck or you're going to be world building you need some support at all message me message eric i'm at gm smudge on instagram and tiktok um where can they message you? Shafkis, which good luck spelling that <laughs> uh, it'll be in the it'll be in the notes but a at s-c-h-a-e-f-g-e-s and i'm everywhere on that so just love find it. me there yeah and then like like subscribe hit the bell so that you get notified each week when episode drops please share share this with your party too like this is this has been a really fun conversation i think that again players have a part to play in all this as well but also comment below what's your method of world building what what are you focusing on within the cosmos all the way down to magic items and and how does that look for you um but i'm super excited for part two as we'll dive in on the other five and well there, we're also gonna have a couple links below below as well with what we call the inspiration vault which we we've created oh, yeah. we'll, talk about that more later. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next uh the next episode of your part two um but a simple way for you to gain inspiration gms for your stories specifically around dungeons right now that's the first one we have and then we have a session edition which is all about just different scenes and session types 20 plus of them that could give you some inspiration on creating different scenes or sessions and we're working on right now a um a wilderness edition so that'll be coming very soon um but again uh, super excited to chat with you and talk to the rest of you soon uh, but lastly make sure to add value to your game so your game becomes more memorable see you later